This is the Wide Awake Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirsten Kazarian. As a child psychologist, I believe the most important part of the work I do is supporting parents by helping them deeply attune to their child and find their own balance of connection, nourishment, and inspiration. To do this, I lean on the practice of mindfulness. Join me in a conversation about raising our kids, raising our consciousness, and trying to stay awake. Welcome to episode three. Today, we're going to explore what happens when our child is faced with a crisis and what we can do as parents to help our child manage an experience like this with resiliency. We'll think about how we can observe our child closely after an experience like a crisis and how we can model healthy coping skills. Because we do know so much about what helps build resiliency, we have a lot of suggestions for you today. When something unexpected or terrible happens, we worry about the impact it will have on our child. Will it make them vulnerable? Will it change who they are? These are really scary thoughts for us. Big life events usually do shift something about us, maybe drawing us even closer to our values or causing us to see the world or ourselves differently. These moments can be overwhelming but they can also be an opportunity for us to realize our own strength, reconnect with those who love us, and learn new skills that make us stronger, faster, smarter versions of ourselves. There's no simple one-size-fits-all answer for how a child will be affected by a crisis. The outcomes depend on what the crisis event is, who our child is, how they functioned before the event, and how we help them cope. This episode is not a substitute for professional support if your child has been affected by a crisis or disaster. It is a place for you to catch your breath, be still for a moment, and gather your thoughts. Whether you're worried about your child right now or listening today to prepare for just in case, I know this topic is heavy. By listening, I hope you learn something that will be helpful and that you feel encouraged. I also hope this show reminds you how important it is that you take care of yourself on your journey of caring for your child. So today we look at unexpected crisis. In our next episode, we'll look at building resiliency in our children and preparing them for events we can foresee. So think of today as our emergency room session, and next week will be more like a well-child visit. I chose to start here because, as I mentioned in our introduction episode, I work in Napa, and I have received lots of questions from caregivers about supporting children in the aftermath of the wildfire disasters. As we're still in the post-impact phase, which lasts around 12 weeks after a mass trauma, There's a lot of positive impacts that this information can have for our kids, and I wanted to prioritize that. You may hear me using examples that have to do with wildfires because I'll be sharing some tips from an article I wrote previously, but these suggestions can be used beyond that. Before we get going, here's some basic information about traumatic events I think is important. 
A lot of the time, we use the terms trauma, traumatic, or traumatized differently, more liberally than mental health professionals do. And that's okay. Just keep this in mind for our conversation today, that because of this, we may all be thinking of varying levels of intensity as far as traumatic events. I'll try to be mindful of using the term crisis as much as possible to help encompass more of the situations we face as parents. Another piece I want to be really clear on is that a traumatic event does not automatically equal traumatization. What I mean by this is that one third of individuals who experienced a trauma will be traumatized. If they sought professional help, they would be diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. And this leaves the other two-thirds shaken, impacted, needing lots of support, but not technically traumatized. I mention this as a reminder of how amazing and resilient human beings are, especially little human beings. And that is so important to look at the individual and not to make assumptions based on the crisis event. All right, another piece to keep in mind is that different traumatic events will affect children differently. So as I'm making suggestions, know that some of them will feel like a good fit for you and your child, and others won't really seem to match the situation. We're covering a fairly broad topic today. And the last thing I want to be clear on is that a single traumatic event has a different impact than chronic trauma does. I mention this because when I look at articles on this topic aimed at parents and teachers, I notice the term chronic trauma is sometimes used. And if you're not aware of the differences, they start to blend in the articles. They have different outcomes and styles of treatment. So that will confuse parents at a moment they really need clear information. Chronic trauma is when children deal with threatening experiences regularly. This could be a neighborhood where they feel unsafe falling asleep at night or walking to and from school. If children live with an abusive family member and are regularly harmed or threatened, they're experiencing chronic trauma. This trauma has a deeper impact on the child's relationship with themselves and others, and serious treatment and support will be required to help them learn to build trust and feel safe. This is a different type of trauma than we'll be discussing today. I want to acknowledge it can be really disturbing thinking about any child experiencing fear or pain regularly. I'd like to take a moment and just express my gratitude for all the community members, mental health professionals, law enforcement officers, child advocates, and first responders who dedicate themselves every day to these children. So if your child does experience a singular traumatic event, what can you do as a parent? Well, the first thing you'll do is you'll monitor them. And if you're a parent whose child has recently experienced a disaster, you'll be happy to know that one of the things you're probably already drawn to be doing, watching your child like a private investigator, is useful and our first recommendation. Your mindfulness skill of being present helps you to see what you need to see and move away from being consumed with worry and fear. If you already have that gut feeling that your child needs professional support, get it. Absolutely trust your gut, but stay present with observing changes in your child and trusting your response to these shifts. If you are or are not alarmed, 
Notice that and take it seriously because you know your child better than anyone else. You have such a head start in observing your child compared to a professional they're meeting for the first time. You're comparing your child to your child, your child before the crisis event to after the crisis event. Quirks, temperament, backstories, you have an understanding of all of this, and so you have a much greater context to view your child's adjustment. Your child's team, this is what I call them, their relatives, coaches, teachers, childcare providers, pediatrician, siblings, special supports, anyone who sees your child regularly and has a relationship with them, they're your monitoring allies. Don't be embarrassed to check in with them about changes you may be noticing. They may be noticing something really important too. Like you, your child's team has an understanding of your child's baseline or normal functioning before a crisis. A professional will need to gather all of that information from you as part of their assessment. And this is not meant to deter you from seeking professional support, but to encourage you to trust in your inner parental wisdom. When working with families, I lean heavily on the intuition of my client's parents. I have a doctorate in clinical psychology, but you have a doctorate in, insert your children's names here. Okay, you guys, that, I know that was corny, but I feel really strongly about this. Trust your gut. So you're on the lookout for changes in behavior. And keep in mind that children tend to exhibit more distress than adults do after a situation like this. Your child may want to sleep in bed with you. They may regress and start acting as if they're younger, crying easily, not using their words, or acting out. And they may be complaining of stomach aches or headaches. So these are all signals they're struggling to cope and may need more support and clear suggestions for how to do so. A child that can usually process their feelings on the day-to-day may have trouble here because the event is so different. They can be at a loss, which is what acting out, tantrums, and regress behavior usually suggest. They may be really focused on the event, and so using the example of the wildfire, they may have a lot of questions about fire and safety. Look for changes in their sleep, eating habits, how they act with friends and siblings, and how they manage school and other activities. And check to see if they're still comforted by the things they previously enjoyed doing, like their favorite activities. As we discuss coping mechanisms for you and your child, you'll see we can actually use these interventions to monitor our kids. But before we move on, here are some explicit suggestions for when to move forward with seeking professional support. So at the time of a crisis, you may be so focused on the minute to minute that it can be really easy to forget that right before this event struck, everyone was dealing with normal life, which itself requires a lot from us. What was your child coping with pre-event and how were they coping with it? Did they have any mental health or behavioral issues? An event like this can exacerbate these issues. If anyone in your family was seeing a therapist at the time of the crisis, definitely check in with them. And if someone is not currently seeing a therapist but had been, it's a good idea to call that person and check back in. Life stressors such as bullying, a move, an illness, a divorce, the loss of a pet, these things that were going on for your child before the crisis are now compounded. 
In this case, make an appointment, reach out for an assessment because your child may be more easily overwhelmed. The closer your child was to death, loss, destruction, or violence during a crisis, the more likely they'll need professional help. And if at any time they're discussing harming themselves, wanting to die, or harming others, get them immediate professional support. I think it's really useful to find these resources in your community now, the ones that you'd actually use. So that may be getting on the phone with your insurance company and figuring out how to find professionals in your area through them, affordable or free resources that may be offered to your family through different community programs, or getting a referral from a pediatrician you trust. Have some names and contact information ready, like a mental health first aid kit, so that if you do decide your child needs more support, all you have to do is call. The next interventions are best modeled by you. And you may be thinking, no, I have enough on my plate already. Well, exactly. Whether this is a community disaster, a family crisis, or a traumatic event you're witnessing your child deal with, you'll probably be exhausted. Give yourself permission to take really good care of yourself during this time. Get back to your own health and wellness routine as soon as possible. Watching family return to a routine will make your children feel safe, and watching you practice self-care will show them how to do this and that it's valued and okay for them to do so as well. Remember when I said some of our interventions were going to help us with our monitoring? Well, when you have your family return to a routine, you get to observe whether or not your child is able to do this. And this is really good information for you or to report to a professional. Something that's useful is to start journaling. First, it's an effective tool for managing stress and dealing with intense emotions. And especially if you have teens or younger children who enjoy writing, it's great modeling. Also, you can really keep track of your observations of your own functioning and the functioning of your family members, so if they do need help, you have really accurate information. If journaling just isn't your thing, that's okay, but try to find something. It's okay to let your family see that you're experimenting with self-care, that you're willing to try new things in order to care for yourself and your family well. Try to be extra gentle with yourself. Remember when we talked about cultivating self-compassion in episode two? This is a moment where we really need the support of that kind inner voice. You're faced with really tough decisions about your family's safety and well-being, and you may be under an immense amount of pressure. You may be doing all of this with little sleep and little time to emotionally process. When you hear a critical voice, acknowledge it and then put it in its place. Remember to practice using a kind inner voice as it will help you function at your best during a difficult time. Help your children see the light. Viewing the world with gratitude helps us to feel hopeful and positive. The practice of gratitude is something we see in individuals that show resiliency to trauma or crisis. Add pieces of this wherever it feels authentic. You could verbalize your appreciation for the concern and support of friends and family. And this reminds your child that in the midst of painful transitions, they can count on others to care about them. We'll dedicate an entire episode to gratitude because this holds so many benefits, but also takes some practice. 
For some, it may feel ridiculous to express gratitude in a moment like this. I'm attaching an article to our show notes about gratitude and its healing effects after the destruction and violence of war. For those of you that want to explore your own thoughts on this more deeply, accept all the feelings. Accept your feelings, accept your child's feelings. Recognize that urge to fix this for your child and then let it go. By accepting your own feelings about the crisis, you're better able to choose how you express them. You can take more ownership of them in a way that people practicing self-compassion are better able to do and model for your children that it's absolutely appropriate to have feelings about what's going on around them. Here's an example of how to express your feelings so you can acknowledge how difficult the situation is. I'm sad we had to leave Benji at the animal shelter because he's such an important part of our family, but the shelter is the safest place for him right now. Watch what happens when you start expressing your feelings like this. When we allow ourselves this freedom, not only do our children benefit from the modeling, but it decreases our reactivity to perhaps go buy something we'll regret, eat something we'll regret, or say something we'll regret. So start noticing this process for yourself. If you're modeling this, your child's more likely to follow suit. Be open and curious about your child's experience. As heartbreaking as it feels to hear that your child may be scared or sad, know that then when they can share this with you, then they're not alone with these feelings. Instead of giving into that urge to try to fix or solve your child's feeling state, which you can't do anyways, validate those feelings instead. You are so worried right now. So just a reminder that as we can rarely actually fix another person's feeling state, when we attempt to, we're actually telling them that we can't tolerate their feelings. And they may stop expressing their negative feelings, but they don't stop experiencing them. And it can take a lot of work to accept this. So you can continue to help your child express their feelings by listening really carefully. And it's something that will help you with all of their questions about the crisis too. Because before you panic and and try to put the pressure on yourself to answer all of their questions, just listen, ask them questions, see what they know and what they don't know. Maybe what they've misinterpreted from watching TV or hearing adult conversations. Asking questions first helps you to harness your energy. Every person's different, and the things your child is actually thinking about may surprise you. Even if you don't have the answers they want, your curiosity reminds them their feelings are important, and they're deeply connected to you even at this time. Refrain from sharing a dull or graphic details, but answer them honestly. It's okay to be brief and then check in with their thoughts and feelings. They may ask the same questions again and again. This doesn't mean that you aren't answering them correctly. It's a normal part of the process. They're seeking reassurance. Let them know they're safe and they're loved. Remind them of their strengths and the strengths of their family or community. Sitting with these feelings is enough, but you can also explore what being worried feels like in your child's body and offer to practice some deep breathing or body stretches if they show interest. Limit media and adult conversations. 
if this is a community crisis that's being covered by the news, try to keep the TV off around your child. The media sensationalizes things, so there's always a sense of intensity, and you're trying to create as much calm for your family as you can. These things just don't work together in harmony. With live coverage, you never know who or what could come on screen, and it may be something you wish your family could unsee. Also, try to hold off on your adult discussion of the crisis. This is not always possible, but if you're not in immediate danger, limit little ears overhearing adult information. This makes less work for you later, as your child will need to make sense of all they see and hear, especially things that aren't developmentally appropriate, which means lots more questions for you. Let them engage in free play. This is unstructured play where children lead and decide what they want to do. They have complete creative control. Control, something they have had none of during a crisis. So what a nourishing experience for them. A lot of wonderful stuff happens when children get to engage in free play. And we're going to dedicate a whole episode to why this is so important. For our purposes here today, this play is useful because it helps children process their feelings about stressful situations and express them in a safe place. It's how they heal. Sit down and join them or remain close by. Listen for patterns such as being scared, rescued, death, loss, helping, and other themes related to crisis. When possible, return to a routine. Like I mentioned earlier, you can get an idea of how your child's doing by observing how they react to their old routine. It's really helpful information for health professionals that a child could do something before the crisis, but now has difficulty with it. Expect lots of bumps on the road to returning to the exact same routine, and your kind inner voice should give you a leg up on the patience you'll need. Returning to school may be tough. Coordinate with school staff and let your child bring something special from home that makes them feel connected to you. Perhaps a note you wrote them or a new soft scarf you picked out together. If your child's been sleeping with you and you want them to return to their bed, start preparing them for the fact that this is a temporary situation. If they're in their own bed, you may notice they're having more difficulty falling asleep. Start their bedtime routine much earlier for a while to help them relax and get the extra attention they're craving right now. Structure some simple joys. If you're still in the midst of a crisis and returning to your routine is impossible, create structure for your child within the chaos of not knowing what the next day, hour, or minute will look like. It can be disorienting for the whole family to go hour by hour not knowing what to expect. Once you're physically safe, Pick one thing each day that you can use as your child's North Star. If you're traveling to stay with grandparents, ask them to cook a favorite meal, and this can be something your child can look forward to and count on. Pick even the smallest thing and refer to it throughout the day so your child has something to orient to. You're smoothing out the edges here of an unpredictable environment. You're also reminding them that you're here, in charge, and trustworthy as always. When you're saying, we're having spaghetti at grandma's house, we're having spaghetti at grandma's house, that hasn't changed, even if it feels like everything else has. Help them be the light. After we've been in survival mode, our adrenaline's pumping, and we can be full of energy that feels uncomfortable, and then we're not sure what to do with. 
If you're safe, but now having to confront the emotional fallout of what just happened, bringing attention to others can be a relief. Practicing small acts of kindness keeps your child's heart and mind busy and empowered. This could be gathering supplies for local shelters, sending an email filled with love to a friend or family member, or meditating or praying for those still in harm's way. All right, we've covered a lot of information today. You can find all of what we've discussed, as well as more resources, in our show notes. To find these, go to wideawakeparenting.com, click on show notes, and select episode three. Feel free to ask us questions and share your thoughts on the show so far. This episode focused on a singular traumatic event or crisis. For those of you interested in learning more about chronic trauma and its effects, we'll have a child trauma specialist joining us in a later episode. Dr. Victoria Eagle is a clinical psychologist who trained at UCSF's Child Trauma Research Program, and we look forward to her joining us later in the season. So if you've not yet subscribed, please do so you don't miss all the great information we want to share with you. That is our show. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Dr. Kirsten Kazarian, and until we meet again, be gentle with yourself, courageous on your path, and let's help each other try to stay awake.